All right. While we were both at AWS reInvent, we didn't find time to do this in person, but I have with me Enrico, the so Enrico Signoretti, uh, senior storage analyst at GigaOM. Enrico, I've gone by years of calling you Enrique. So uh, 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 kudos to me to finally getting your name right. How's it going, my friend? It's going very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, it was a blast. Next uh, last week, we we had uh, a, you know a great time together. Me, you, and all the other folks at the, at the event. Yeah, I tried to get Chris Evans on, but he's uh, doing other things. But you know, we uh, ran into. Uh, Quigley Pig on Twitter uh, and a bunch of other people. It was an amazing event. 50,000 attendees, I'm told. So I, it, it felt 5, like 5,000 as, uh, as far as I know. So it's a very good number compared also to many other events that I saw this year. I mean, they almost regained the same numbers that they had before the pandemic. Uh, this I mean, it's it's very important because it gives also an idea on uh, where the companies are investing. I mean, uh, we we were talking with some uh, some other analysts at the show, and and some of their clients brought like 30, 50 people <laughs> at the. That's amazing, the, right? The, yeah, I mean, so they, they it's a huge investment, even if they are not paying for the for the pass. I mean, we are talking about moving, you know, a, a good chunk of your team at an event for one week. So, and it was a full week. It went from Monday through Friday. There were there were sessions on Friday, so it was five days of content for folks who have never been to reinvent, and you kind of see the content online after the fact. There were sessions going up until ten o'clock at night. It is. It is. They try and get as much content in as possible, so it's impossible to to recap the entire show. So yeah. we're going to focus on uh, Volner Vogel's keynote, uh, which is day you know kind of three or four. It's, it's happening Thursday, the day after the the big. Uh, uh, Actually, the party is Thursday night, so I can't even say the day after the party. But <laughs> it's the keynote that most of us highly technical infrastructure folks look forward to. And Enrique, for the first time in probably a while, wow, he didn't really talk a lot of infrastructure. No, actually, I mean, it was interesting because there is this huge push from AWS for serverless. So, uh, I mean, while the storytelling was great, I mean, so he connected all the dots, started with, you know, traditional application development, why you should use serverless as, you know, the, the, the video at the beginning about, you know, comparing uh, old uh, synchronous ways of doing stuff with, you know, the new distributed, high, highly, uh, you know, uh, asynchronous uh, microservices, et cetera, et cetera, way to do application is, was cool. And uh, maybe he spent too much on this, but but I, I know this, this is the push. And then he went on a path about, you know, uh, the next steps. Uh, and if he ended with, uh, with quantum computing, so very, very long, let's say, you know, path, you know, a very, very far uh, horizon 
that that uh, that people can you know you can also target quantum computing 10 20 years but but it was it was it was a good it was a good keynote then we can debate on the on the value of serverless on um, this kind of microservices that maybe are too radical for most of the developers but again was uh, I really enjoyed it I, I did enjoy it. I always enjoy his keynotes. He has an interesting style of presenting. You know, we had a kind of a red pill, blue pill, yellow <laughs> jelly bean deal for, you know, play on the Matrix. So it was a fun, you know, uh, Verna's type of uh, guy seems like doesn't take himself too seriously and he can poke fun and it was a, a fun session. So I kind of like to divide it into like those three different sections. The first hour was kind of building the case for serverless. The next one was kind of uh, more of your wheelhouse data, AI and uh, analysis. And it kind of bled into a third area, which was, you know, kind of the future and it, it, you know, he went into kind of the the power of now and what you can do with simulation and then what you can do with simulation in the future. So it was, you know, it's it we can kind of break it into three sessions. It was kind of two first hour on serverless, second hour on AI ML, but with some, you know, subtopics within that AI ML story. So what did you think about that first hour of just, you know, he, it seemed like a really good advertisement for Lambda. Yeah. I mean, so in general, I love serverless uh, with, uh, but I, I have to be honest when I think about it. So it speed ups development. It, it makes application really scalable. You don't have to think about anything. I mean, everything infrastructure is a problem uh, of the service provider. And you just uh, you just make uh, these components smarter. You connect them. You know this is the real microservices world. On the other end, what I find frightening, I mean, is that it serverless is a huge looking. Okay, so when when you start developing with Lambda and you start attaching this function to all these uh, components in the AWS. Um, ecosystem, it means that in the end, you have an application that is totally AWS uh, focused. So if you, if you think about it, it, it's, uh, it becomes really, really complicated then to, to, to think about a, a different cloud. So, and w when I talk with my clients, most of, the, most of them have two, some of them, three or more clouds. Okay. And it's not because strategy in many cases is a technical choice or it's because one of their partners forced them to work with uh, with a different cloud for specific reasons maybe there is a very specific uh, ai ml kind of library that this third party used and you know and if you want that solution you have to use that that cloud or you know maybe it's a, a data governance problem or whatever in anyways so how do you port your application to a different uh, uh, cloud i mean it's quite impossible i mean you, you can rebuild the logic that's probably the easiest part but everything has to be rewritten to work in that cloud different apis different services even the 
response times. I mean, so because because they are optimized in a different way, so different service work uh, a little bit different. So something that you choose at the very beginning on AWS because it works in a specific way, then maybe you will find a similar service on, on AWS, but it doesn't work exactly the same. So it will create a lot of discrepancies in, and inconsistencies in the way the application is developed. So keeping you know, uh, up with a single code base is a problem. You know, keeping up with multiple cost base and maintain the same uh, set of functionality could be a huge problem. You know, we saw this multiple times in the past with iOS and uh, and Android, right? So, uh, if you when you were developing the same application with uh, you know native uh, um, APIs and native uh, development tools of the two platform, you had to rewrite most of it and the application were not the same. They were not alike. Now, many developers use this, you know, uh, IDEs that are, you know, common for all the platform that simplify development a lot because you develop the, the single application and then the system helps you to, to maintain the application on, on different platforms. So, it's, so you use a single language, you use a, a I mean, a, a a single framework in the end, so it's totally different. Especially, uh, you know, if if there is a some complexity uh, in this application. So that that's that's a thing. I mean, yeah, and the lock-in part of it is, you know, back when I started following service maybe six seven years ago, I had this this I struggled with the basic concept of event-driven compute because back in our monolith world, you know, we write an application and there will be a listening daemon. There will be something constantly running, waiting to uh, kick off a function or uh, in this case, an event that, that will kick off a function to listen to. And if you're not writing that yourself, then what what became, the, the thing that I struggled with was what was that constant running daemon? And Vernon did a really great job of breaking it down and say, basically, AWS is that daemon. AWS is that listening service, that bus, that message bus. He did a really great job. Even whether you believe in, in serverless or Lambda yourself, it was a really great uh, perspective of how to write uh, distributed applications, whether you recreate the AWS functionality yourself, like within containers or different cloud services, great architecture discussion. But there's lock-in. So if the AWS message bus basically is my core service and I have to write logic around that, it allows me to develop serverless applications really fast, save a ton of money, not kind of worry about databases. They did a lot of uh, the uh, keynote, the main keynote talked about, you know, ETL between Aurora and uh, their uh, other uh, big database and a lot of great advantages. But to your point, if I code to that, now I'm locked in to AWS. There's not equivalent, not one-to-one -one services. I can do a lot of the same logic in the other platforms, but not in the same way. 
So now I have two development teams to with two different tracks and trying and then two operations teams trying to keep up with performance and SLOs, SLAs, et cetera. And it becomes kind of this big mess that I tried to avoid when I was building monolithic applications in my private data center or pre-cloud. So I really, really appreciated the the logic around building distributed, modern distributed apps and how the overhead is worth that effort. But, you know, there's a really interesting trade-off that customers have to consider. Do I do this with kind of an abstracted container type platform and use native cloud services sparingly so I can have portability? Or do I develop for speed and convenience with these native cloud platforms? Well, there, there is the, you know, the, the jelly bean way. I mean, so uh, it's, uh, uh, and, and, and maybe, maybe it was not explored enough. I mean, I, I would be the guy that chooses the jelly bean, just <laughs> not, not just for the flavor, but, but the idea was banana flavor, right? But the idea is that you can build on top of every cloud today, you know, your infrastructure and make it portable. This is something that every cloud provider wants to avoid. But actually, if you look at, for example, my work, like uh, Pure Storage or NetApp, they are, you know, through acquisitions or because they built it in um, with their teams. So both Portworks with uh, Portworks Databases Services, PDS, right? And... Uh, and uh, NetApp with the uh, intra cluster, they are building this mechanism uh, to, you know, create a service that is, you know, uh, built out of open source. So you, you create your databases, you create your framework, and they are always the same. You can port them no matter, you know, on top of Kubernetes, no matter where you are deploying your infrastructure. So. If I think that there is OpenFast and there is K-native, uh, you know, similar frameworks to do uh, serverless, I mean, they can't be as advanced as AWS because in AWS you have everything integrated and uh, etc. But actually, if you are able to build your environment, you can use this, you know, uh, development methodology. It works, and then you can move your application with your infrastructure on top of every cloud. I don't want I don't want to call it meta cloud super cloud or whatever cloud uh, like others do but actually this is what it is. I mean so the cloud is a commodity infrastructure just infrastructure not managed services and then on top of it you deploy your real infrastructure so your pass. Okay. And so let, let's talk about that because that's that the the I think if we broke the conversation down to like a carrot and a stick, the first part of the conversation was the carrot. Like here's here's what you should do and here's the advantages of it, and the second part of the conversation is kind of that stick. Like, yeah, you can build it with OpenFaz or KNative or some other platform that's portable. But let's flex. Let's talk about comedy. When this is something that we haven't talked about yet in the actual podcast, is some of these customer stories from Siemens to uh, startups or, and around natural gas and et cetera. And this 
kind of power of the AWS platform. Yeah, I mean, so when you are, are at these events and you talk with these people, you, you really understand, you know, that I, I think that uh, you, you have two options. One is full on, I mean, and uh, you take advantage 100% of the system, the ecosystem that uh, AWS is, you know, uh, has been building since 2006. And they are the most advanced in this. They, they provide a lot of services. So if you have a good architect, cloud architect, that knows very well, you know, all the ecosystem, and you have access to professional services from AWS, uh, and of course, everything becomes easier, and it's a good partner, okay? Maybe, maybe I have to say that, uh, uh, you know, others can, can provide you similar, similar uh, you know, solutions, but actually AWS is just bigger, more advanced, a little bit more everything, okay? So it has a true advantage. But again, uh, you have to commit everything on it. So uh, are you ready to do it? Is it, uh, is it something that you really want to do? Because, you know, l- let's think about, uh, I don't know, th- basic things that, that, that are in the mouth of everybody in these days, like cost, cl- cloud cost optimization, okay? If, if you are on a, on a single cloud, Okay, um, I mean, it's harder to do cloud cost optimization because maybe there are resources from other cloud for the type of workloads that you do that, you know, are cheaper for just that specific workload or because maybe their APIs are more optimized or maybe because they do things just different in a different way that are, you know, more aligned with your applications. I don't know. Uh, so I mean, it's a it's a very complicated question to solve uh, to to uh, to give an answer. Uh, the perfect answer is impossible. I mean, when you see these these guys with these very fancy use cases, you see, wow, for this specific use case, AWS did a great job. I mean, they gave you everything. Uh, so. But- Oh, and so this is where I want to end the conversation because this is where it's practical because we saw some amazing use cases from Unity to Siemens to, you know, simulations, city size simulations within EC2 and then AWS making services from that data, those data sets, et cetera. Then there's the rest of us. Like there's us who struggle with, you know, just understanding all the features of S3. When a company says that their storage is S3, their object storage is S3 compatible, they're usually just talking about read, write, uh, delete type of uh, uh, compatibility. But when you go into the AWS S3 panel and services, it's practically a database now. Like you can do some really crazy stuff with S3. The question is, at what level of extraction do you do you make the decision that I'm either going all in in AWS and using these unique services around something like an S3 that only AWS provides versus, you know what, I'm going to use S3 in the uh, read, write, delete 
uh, narrative yeah. versus S3 as in it's a database. And I'm going to look towards like a proper database outside of S3, like well, so that I can have portability. Do you remember when, you know, in the past we were designing uh, systems, complex system, maybe uh, an SAP system. Okay. So you were thinking about SAP, but you were designing everything end to end, including the hardware. And that was, you know, at the end of the day, so you were using a big Unix machine or, or a, you know, a different type of system, but actually you are designing everything and you were, you know, optimizing everything for that platform. I think the same is today. I mean, you can think about this. I mean, a startup or, or Siemens or that we saw or, you know, everybody else. I mean, they have an application. They are thinking, okay, what, what is the best technology and what is the best stack end-to-end to develop this application? And then it comes to, ah, AWS gives us this, 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 and this layer. They are really optimized. We like it, including S3, Lambda, and other things. And why not build this application this way? Yes, of course, you are building a silo, but it's a very efficient silo. And uh, so we started thinking about building generic stacks when virtualization started to appear. Okay. So we, we started thinking about just the operating system as the you know lower layer for, for your application because you you were choosing between a Linux or 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 a Windows system at that point. But but again uh, the same goes here. I mean you, you can choose do I want to be abstracted and at the very beginning, virtualization was not as efficient as today, for example. So, and uh, so, do do I want to be abstracted and lose some of the efficiency, or do I want to be, you know, uh, bare metal and go end to end? So, it, this is even if it's the term is used differently. Uh, this is bare metal cloud versus abstracted cloud, and uh, the bare metal cloud means in this case. I mean, I know that. Usually we are talking uh, about it differently, but but if for, for this example works, I mean, so I want to take all advantage of the metal, and I want to to do everything I can with it. This is why I'm choosing this architecture. This is why we were choosing big SMP Unix machines in the in the nineties instead of Windows NT or whatever. The, the first version of Linux because it was much more performant, it was more scalable, it was uh, much more, you know, uh, code were, uh, was optimized for it. Oracle was already doing better things on, on this hardware instead of Microsoft SQL or instead of Oracle on, on Windows NT. So th- there was a stack and it was working. The same is with the cloud. You you know, nothing changes in the end. You can have a great silo that works perfectly and perfectly optimized because this is your goal. Or you can start thinking differently, which will pay off probably in years, which is not something that is, you know, feasible for many enterprises. So, Enrico, I'll leave uh, the audience with that thought. It's... it's you can't ask every question when you're building an app or creating a new infrastructure, but you can start with some questions 
And those questions basically need to be, who am I building this for? Why am I building it? And what are the advantages of one platform or another? Basically, am I, is the platform or architecture that I'm looking to leverage, is it meeting the use case? And a lot of times where me and you meet customers, and we end up talking to customers and helping them with their problems is that they didn't ask these basic questions. Like they didn't, you know, they kind of jumped in and said, Oh, AWS allows me these tools. And they didn't realize that, Hey, my business partner doesn't want to use this cloud provider. It doesn't want to give their, have their data on this cloud provider. And now they end up in a really bad situation that they've made this major investment where they're sending 30 of their staff to AWS reInvent and realizing, man, I might have to send 30 of the same staff to uh, Microsoft, uh, 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 whatever the Microsoft conference is. That's how big AWS reInvent is. Microsoft Insight, I believe it's uh Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, they have three or four conferences now. That yeah, they have a lot of conferences. Is, and maybe this is a question that you didn't ask is what people do I have to, you know, pull this off? So, uh, I mean, wh when you start thinking the end-to-end -end stack, you need infrastructure and developers. But think about serverless. You just need developers. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a really difficult question for a lot of startups. Do I invest in recreating what's basically non-differentiated infrastructure? So some of these services that AWS already has for me, yeah, there's a lot of open source out there, but I have to stitch those things together. Even if I get a head start with something like OpenShift or uh, Tanzu application platform, I, I still have to build a bunch of infrastructure to get my app up and running. Or do I spend that $300,000 on developers who can just write more business logic code and I get my app to market faster than my competitors? competitors so while and i have to just sacrifice portability and and lose some business opportunities these are not questions that's uh asked in the vacuum or answered in a vacuum for folks that want to find out uh more of your views on rico where can they find it and what's your latest project well uh it's easy i mean you can find me by googling my name it's uh i am the only analyst in the in the IT industry, that uh, uh, so it's not a really common name, so th that's that's easier part. You will end up with a gigam.com probably, where you can find all my write-ups and uh, most of my content. And I also host a um, Friday live show on LinkedIn. So if you want to join me, it's uh, every Friday at 5:30 p.m. Uh, Central European time, so 8.30 p.m. Uh, a.m. Uh, Pacific. So uh, just look for me on LinkedIn or or uh, on Google and you will find me. All right. And if you want to find out more about the CTO Advisor, you can follow us on the web, thectoadvisor.com. DMs are open at CTO Advisor for me. Talk to you next CTO Advisor podcast.